Welcome to Wildly Wealthy Life, the show that's all about exploring the different paths to a life of freedom and fulfillment and how that ripples through your personal life, family life, and to the community. Join husband and wife power couple Lee and Kat Hughes as they share people's stories from different backgrounds and lifestyles about what it means to live a life well-lived. Tune in and take that first step to becoming the best version of yourself, personally and professionally, here on Wildly Wealthy Life. My reason for going to law school, like many people, was to help actual people. But yet, as a corporate lawyer, I was just helping these corporations. And I thought, it it just felt a little empty. And I felt like I wanted to make the same top quality legal documents that we provide to our Fortune 500 clients available to people who can't necessarily afford $1,000 an hour, these small business owners, content creators, entrepreneurs. And so I knew I wanted to take that risk to try to create something on my own because I knew that I was not happy at the law firm. It was a very comfortable lifestyle, but it just, it didn't fulfill me. It didn't make me happy. And I knew there had to be a way to use my law degree in a way that could help actual people and not just these, you know, faceless corporations. Hi, and welcome again to Wildly Wealthy Life. My name is Lee and my lovely wife and co-host to my right here is Kat. Kat, who do we have on today? You are so excited because I am too. <laughs> Today we have Erica Kloberg. Erica Kloberg is an attorney and personal finance expert. She was featured on CNBC, US News and World Report, Business Insider, Washington Post, and more. She is also a Georgetown Law and University of Notre Dame graduate. She spent many years as a corporate lawyer representing Fortune 500 companies and then founded Plug in Law, which provides legal agreements for online business owners and entrepreneurs. She also paid off $225,000 worth of student loan debt in two years. That was amazing. I thought that was really awesome. And also, she's got an amazing YouTube channel that she grew to over 70,000 subscribers in a very short amount of time. And I've been watching your videos. By the way, Erica, it's been really fun. And that's why you're here, because I have been a fan just watching your videos. So, Erica, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So Erica, just tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, yeah, I introduced you a little bit, but like, what are you doing actually like now you're in Tokyo, which is really cool. Like it's 7 PM our time, 12 PM your time in Tokyo. It's just amazing. Technology is awesome. So just a little bit about yourself and why are you in Tokyo? Yeah. So I ended up in Tokyo right after law school. I spent about half my childhood in Japan. My mom is Japanese. My dad's American. So it was kind of a natural fit. And just had a really good opportunity to here to come work for a law firm that I could do cross-border mergers and acquisitions at. So that's how I ended up in Tokyo. And I actually left the law firm a year ago to start Plug-in Law. And at the same time, I started my YouTube channel. And I'm still in Tokyo because I found a guy and married him. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good reason. That's that's acceptable, I guess. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, So if we could go back, like what... Where were some of the initial ideas where plug-in law uh, came from? Because you obviously like left corporate world, right? <laughs> so like, what is that like for you? Yeah, so I think after years of working at this law firm, we were servicing Fortune 500 CEOs and charging them $1,000 an hour. And I kind of realized that I lost track of my path. My reason for going to law school, like many people, was to help actual people. But yet, as a corporate lawyer, I was just helping these corporations. And I thought, 
it, it just felt a little empty. And I felt like I wanted to make the same top quality legal documents that we provide to our Fortune 500 clients available to people who can't necessarily afford $1,000 an hour. These small right. business owners, content creators, entrepreneurs. And so I knew I wanted to take that risk to try to create something on my own because I knew that I was not happy at the law firm. It was a very comfortable lifestyle, but it just, it didn't fulfill me. It didn't make me happy. And I knew there had to be a way to use my law degree in a way that could help actual people and not just these, you know, faceless corporations. Yeah. How did it play into um, your family life, your community? Like, what were they thinking? Did it ever play into your decision of like, you know, like, I think for me, um, being raised, I'm Filipino, but being raised in, you know, like an Asian family, Filipino family, like finances is very important because growing up, I didn't have a lot, you know? And so even like career choice has been such a discussion, like in family settings, right? So how was that for you? Like, I could imagine your parents probably like, we sent you to law school and then what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? With an Asian mom, the dream is always for their children to become a doctor or lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so I went to college with this idea that I was going to become a doctor, but then I got a C in organic chemistry and I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to be a doctor. (laughs) What's next? Lawyer. So then that's kind of how the, I started. Yeah. Engineer. I'm also (laughs) not smart enough for that. So a lawyer was like the, (laughs) the bare minimum. Because of that, that's why I went to law school. And a a large part of my 20s was about making my parents happy. And because they had sacrificed so much for me, I really wanted to stay on this path that I knew would make them proud. And I saw Mm -hmm. how proud they were to have their daughter as, you know, one of two female corporate lawyers at this top law firm. And it made them really proud. But I think at the same time, they saw that I was unhappy and hoping for more. So surprisingly, they were really supportive of my decision to leave mm-hmm. the law firm and take that big jump last year. That's amazing. Go for it, babe. Yeah. What, what was that jump for you? Like, I mean, did you have everything already established and ready to go? And then just like, all right, here's my two weeks. Goodbye. Or what? <laughs> how, how was that transition time for you? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really with law school, I went into $200,000 of debt. And then it took me two years to go to $0 net worth. (laughs) And then it was, you know, a year or so after that, that I was really working to save a lot of money to build up this cushion, this emergency fund that I could afford to take this risk. And once I hit the number that I was happy with, Mm -hmm. that's when I was like, I'm going to put in my two weeks notice. We're going to go for this. Worst case scenario, the good thing about saving up that money is it provides you with this optionality, right? So the worst case scenario for me is I try, I fail, and then I go, you know, beg for a job again. And I'm, (laughs) I felt like that was an okay worst case scenario versus the best case scenario could be like, I could succeed and I could help people and I could really create a company that I'm proud of and, and proud to be part of. So yeah, once I saved up enough money, I took the risk. (laughs) I love that you're pointing that out, like to kind of, um, you know, sometimes people are, it's so passionate, right, about what they want to do, and then they just jump into it. And I and I love that too. But it's also awesome when you actually plan things out, and then you have like a cushion, and then you go for it, and you you understand what would be the worst case and what would be the best case scenario. And as you said, you know, worst case scenario, as a lawyer, you're probably going to find another job. You know, so worst case scenario, you can just go back to corporate world, right? But like, so for I would say right now, it's best case scenario for you, right? Like it actually worked out. Can you tell yeah. us? A little 
little bit about um, plugin law. What do you do with that? Um, and also just a little bit about your YouTube channel. I found that very interesting. Um, Erica is actually someone uh, for our viewers out there. Uh, she posted on FinCon. It's um financial conference basically it's like a facebook group and when you posted something about your youtube success it really drew me in and I, and i love like the pointers that you gave i love like just how um giving you are and generous you are with the information that you share with us and helping other people maybe get to where you're at too and inspire other people so can you talk to us a little bit about um those two things yeah so We'll start with plug-in law. Plug-in law is, again, we're trying to make legal simple for small business owners and entrepreneurs, content creators. So we really have two avenues right now. So the first is we offer legal documents to protect your online business, such as a privacy policy, terms and conditions, disclaimer. And then the second thing we do for U.S., residents is we offer trademarks. So we help you register your federal trademark. Mm -hmm. And that's really, again, we, we look to price things at about a 10th of the price you would pay for an actual lawyer with the same top quality service. So that's really our mission with plug-in law. And then the YouTube channel is that's really just came out of my passion for personal finance. So as we kind of discussed, I credit personal finance and learning how to save money, learning how to invest with giving me the optionality and the freedom to walk away from that cushiony job to take this risk and try to help more people. And so because of that, I'm just really passionate about teaching others about personal finance that you don't need to spend once you get a job. You don't need to like increase your lifestyle. You don't need to keep up with the Joneses and buy the latest purse because that freedom that you'll get from saving now, that freedom that you'll get in the future is so much better than the instant gratification of just getting a new purse right now. So that's my personal finance YouTube YouTube channel. And it has shockingly grown really rapidly in the last year. And my thing is always to, as I'm learning, I believe in this abundance mindset that, that, you know, the more I learn, the more I can share with others, the more it could help us all be better. And so I, I'm just very transparent with the YouTube thing. I'm transparent with how much money I'm making on YouTube because I feel like if I share these things, then maybe someone who has been doubting themselves can say like, wow, if Erica can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And that's really my goal is because there's nothing... I'm not a finance expert. I don't have a degree in finance. I just love personal finance. I'm just someone who like my friends would always come to me and be like, what credit card should I get? But Mm -hmm. I have no expertise. I'm not an expert. So it's just me talking on a channel about something I'm passionate about. And that's no different from anyone else who wants to get their message out there. I, I, I don't have a leg up. So I figured if I can succeed in this, which so far this year went well, like I might as well share what I did with other people and show them that it's possible for them to, how long have you had your YouTube channel and what was the re- what was the initial reason for you do- to uh, start sharing your message? Yeah, I've had the channel for exactly a year. Mm-hmm. And in that year, it's grown to over 70,000 subscribers, 4 million views. And the whole reason for starting it was I was looking to do something out of my comfort zone and something not related to law and something I was passionate about. And YouTube really fit those three criteria for me because it was so out of my comfort zone. I was mm-hmm. terrified. Like, I'm not good on camera. I'm not good at speaking. I like stutter. I get You're nervous. Like, it now. 
<laughs> no. It came with no. practice. She's been practicing. Oh, a year of practice. Kind yeah. Of like, I have... I have done 114 videos now, so I have, I'm a little more practiced than I was a year ago. (laughs) What I love Erica is exactly that, right? Like you, you mentioned, you don't have a leg up. It's just something that you're passionate about. And then I think what works with your channel is just the vulnerability. I love how open you are. I literally have watched uh, a bunch of your videos. It's really fun to watch. I, I love when you talk about, so for our viewers out there, uh, go check Erica out because she talks about how you know, you are not naturally good. Like at speaking in front of camera, you're, 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 you're afraid, you're nervous, you're all these things, but yet you do it and you just overcome. I love the video that you talked about, like tangible, uh, intangible wins. You talked something about in one of your videos, just the intangible wins. The fact that you are now able to, sorry, if you guys are watching, not watching on YouTube, my cat is here. <laughs> His name is Goose. Anyway, just the intangible wins that you got. Right. And to be honest, like when I watch your, um, videos, Erica, it was also what inspired us. Well, <laughs> well, we've been doing the podcast be- before I discovered you, but we actually were like, we should do a like a legit like YouTube channel for our wildly wealthy life, you know, about personal finance because we love personal finance too. Um, we haven't really gotten around to it. I've actually been more um, focused on developing my YouTube channel for my piano because I play piano. And so it's been really interesting how um, just watching you, I know it's not completely related. You're doing finance. I'm doing more of like an artsy, you know, um, what do you call it? A channel, but still the fact that like, oh, you could do this and just do it as a passion and it could grow. It's really encouraging. So I love that. So thank you for just, you know, sharing all of that. Thank you. That makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. You made a difference. That's for sure. (laughs) Keep going. Now on the piece of personal finance for, for you, what, what were some of the initial, I mean, if you think back, was it like your childhood? Was it some event that happened that really turned you on to personal finance? I think I've always been quite frugal. I've always known how to save money because growing up, I guess, as a military brat, like we, I don't know, we we knew how to save money. Mm. The investing piece is something I didn't know and something I had to teach myself. And I think it's important. We're not taught these things in school. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times fear drives people to not want to dive into it. Like when you think of investing, there are so many people out there who are just so overwhelmed by that word. It's so intimidating Mm -hmm. that they don't even want to tackle it. Or even like the student loans. I, with $200,000 of student loans, when I graduated law school, I was so scared of them and so intimidated by them that I just shied away from them. Like I didn't even think about them. I didn't want to face it. Only like months after graduation did I actually sit down with myself and decide like, I'm going to tackle these. Like these are weighing on my shoulder. And so I think a lot of times with personal finance, it's this thing where you're just so scared to learn that you let that fear paralyze you and you end up not learning. So I wanted to create that channel to just break down little things and make people feel a little more comfortable that like, look, here I am talking about how I paid off my student loans. But when I graduated from law school, I was too scared to even like, look at them. I was ignoring the papers that came in the mail about that. Outside, out of mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. I love how you said, you know, sometimes when you're afraid, um, you just don't want to face it. Right. And a lot of times, like we really are afraid of things that we don't understand. Like if we don't understand it, we're afraid that's, that's really what it is, you know? And if we just take the time to just pause and be like, okay, let's look into this. Let's dive in a little bit uh, deeper into it. 
you realize it's actually not that that scary, right? When it comes to tackling your debt, what did you do? Like what maybe specific things did you do to tackle that? Because that's a huge amount of chunk, right? (laughs) To to pay it off in two years. Like that's, that's amazing. What did you do? Yeah. I think the very first step with debt is to have that aha moment where you're like, you know what? I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to tackle it. Let me set a plan. So in order to set a plan, what I recommend everyone do, and this is what I did, is you have to figure out exactly what date you're going to get your debt paid off. So what's your debt payoff date? And in order to find that debt payoff date, you have to do things like, okay, what debt do I have? List it out. List the interest rates out. Okay, what are my what's my monthly income? How much are you making after taxes? What's my monthly expenses? That's going to force you to have a budget. And really taking those little pieces and putting them together and determining, well, how much can I afford to put towards my loans every single month? And then what does that mean in terms of when I will be able to pay it off? And I always like to say, set your bet or connect your debt payoff date to something that's significant for you, whether it's your 40th birthday or Christmas three years from now, just so that you can look forward to that. Because I think with debt, it's very, it's like a cloud over you while you have it. So in order to keep going, you need to be able to have that like sunshine at the end and know like that's the day that you're going to be debt free and you're not going to have this weight on your shoulders. So that's the, basically the first step is just really figuring out when you're going to get it done, paid off. <laughs> I love that too, because debt has such a, a weight, but as you said earlier, <clears throat> just getting your, getting your mindset right. You know, um, thinking of that debt, like now you could probably think of it as that was your first investment into your future right now, you know, and getting that type of mindset can help totally change someone's uh, perspective on things. Um, we have a friend that paid off like a hundred thousand uh, dollars. She has a couple of different books and things out. But um, her moment was like, she got a credit card bill for like, I don't know, it was like 6,000 or something. And she would fell on her knees, bawling her eyes out, like asking God for help. And then um, that got her like looking at it, targeting it. Okay, this is done. I need to go after this and like, let's, yeah. let's tackle this. Um, There's the you- grieving moment, you know, you're yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, what did I do? <laughs> right. So I wanted, I wanted to know, um, what was your grieving moment that maybe like was the trigger? And then what was it like when you finally like mailed that last check and paid that debt completely off? Yeah. So my, my aha moment was I was getting, it was probably five months after graduation. I was getting all these letters in the mail from my student loan servicers saying with words that I didn't understand words like forbearance and grace period. And I was like, how do I have this much debt? And I don't even understand what they're trying to say to me in these letters. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of induced this panic moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, I need a research. So I think that week I spent 60 hours on Reddit forums, like searching like student loans, everything I could awesome. figure out. And by the end of that week, I came out of it with an action plan and ready to go. So nice. that was the terrifying moment was basically realizing that this, so what I thought was monopoly money in law school, because they, they really don't educate you properly about the consequences and the repercussions of, of taking out so much debt in law mm-hmm. school. It's kind of, or even in school in general, it's kind of just you know, something that's a necessary evil, that gravity hitting me that five months later when I was getting those letters, like that was for sure my aha moment. (laughs) When, what was it like when you, um, 
I guess, mail that last paycheck. And when was that? Because you said like make choose a Christmas or a birthday. What was that for you? Yeah. So my significant date was two years from when I started at the law firm. So Mm -hmm. I always knew what date I started because that was like two years plus two years was when I was going to pay it off. So that date was amazing. I went to, we have these, um, like grocery store deli type things. And I went that night and I got things that I would never have purchased. Like I bought scallops and I bought some fancy truffle cheese and really Uh, had like an (laughs) indulgence. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You could you celebrate it. That's amazing. Yeah. It felt, it felt amazing. I mean, for anyone who is in debt and listening, like you have to just think about how you're going to feel. Think about how debt makes you feel. Right. So I felt embarrassed. I felt weighed down. I felt like I didn't have many options. I felt stressed. And then on the opposite side, think about how it's going to make you feel when you're free of that debt and just look towards that. Every time you want to make, you know, a silly purchase or whatever, like think about how you are going to feel when you're free of that debt and just work towards that and realize that like the short-term sacrifices that you make are nothing compared to that feeling that you're going to get when you're debt free. Yeah, and so, cool. yeah, the scallops yeah, were delicious. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and how did you go about um, kind of those daily reminders? Like a lot of people, we have these traps, you know, spending traps that uh, we fall into. And it's just like a habit that sort of forms. Uh, a lot of people, you know, Starbucks or coffee bean or whatever their their choice is. Some people like they have to go out to eat every single day as opposed to like eating in or cooking for themselves. Like wh- what what are some of your I guess tips or what what are some things that you did to have those daily reminders like hey, I have a bigger goal, I have a bigger purpose. Yeah, how basically did you stay on track, right? Yeah, yeah. So the best thing that I think I did was to not inflate my lifestyle. So we have this huge problem in the U.S., lifestyle inflation, where as we get higher paying jobs, as we get that bonus, we increase our consumption because that's what we're taught to do. You know, when you get a raise, you buy the nicer car, you buy the bigger house. Mm -hmm. And I just... Throughout those two years, I just never allowed myself to think I wasn't still a broke law student. So I was, you know, (laughs) making my lunch. I was walking to work 30 minutes every single day to save $2. Like, um, (laughs) you just, you do these little things. And obviously the, the $2 that I saved on the train didn't make a a huge dent in my student loans, but it's that mentality of like, let me not increase my lifestyle. Let me not try to play keeping up with the Joneses with all of the other fancy lawyers at my law firm. You know, they were wearing their Jimmy shoes. I was wearing my Walmart shoes. Like this is just my lifestyle. That's Walmart what- shoes. Hey. <laughs> it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, Erica, let's go back to kind of just your YouTube channel a little bit. I'm really interested in, did you have any expectations of how it grew because I, the last I think the last video I saw of you is you itemized like how you made like your first hundred thousand dollars like on YouTube like that was incredible I was like this is really awesome you know did you expect like what was your expectation or did you or that was just like what the heck this is, this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes and no. So I had in January of this year, I put out this big video. My goal is to create passive income. That's really where I think my 
focus is right now. And so I put out this big video in January that was like, I'm going to build $200,000 of passive income this year. And I'm going to show you how, oh, and by the way, I'm at $0 right now. Right. And so that was, that was my big goal. And I think I had for the different income streams, I had different targets. So I think for YouTube, it was like, I wanted to make maybe 16,000 from ad revenue. And at the time people told me it was ridiculous. Like even other YouTube friends I had were like, that's, that's ridiculous. But I think my goal with YouTube, the reason I say yes and no is because yes, I had these targets for the purpose of just setting goals. Mm -hmm. But I think the best goal you can do with anything podcast or YouTube or any, any way you're trying to build a following or build a presence is to set output-based goals. So my goal with YouTube was actually not to make money. My goal was to just stay accountable to myself and release a video a week for a year, no matter what, even if I only got one view on every single video. And I think it's much better to set output-based goals like that, which are in your control versus the monetary thing was fine, but to be honest, it wasn't a lot of it is luck. Like it wasn't like it was, I'm some YouTube genius who was able to do it. Like a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is out of my control versus, and I just felt like setting the goal that I could create one video a week that I put a lot of my heart into was more reasonable. So I did that, but yeah, I did end up making over a hundred thousand dollars on YouTube my very first year. So I went from zero subscribers, no, no social media following to, to that number. And it was pretty crazy. (laughs) That is incredible. That's crazy. Amazing. What are some of the other avenues that you're pursuing too for the passive Passive income? income, Yeah. Yeah, So with YouTube, it's, ad revenue. It's affiliate marketing, which is just me promoting my, or me promoting other companies' products, their services that I love. And I'll get a small commission if someone ends up buying and then sponsored videos where a company pays me a set amount to mention them in 30 seconds or 60 seconds of the vid of the video. I know you guys know this, but just for your audience in case. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And then I also have plugin law. So that's pretty passive too, because I've tried to set it up in a way that it's pretty automated. And then I was also going to do an Olympic ebook, but that obviously didn't happen with the Olympics postponed this year. So I wanted to try something like a digital product or course. So I think instead I told my followers that I would flip that out. So I think I'm going to switch it out with a YouTube course, like a YouTube mm-hmm. for people who don't have time for YouTube course, just yeah. so that I can, you know, see how much I can make on for, for that passive income stream and for accountability purposes. And that's what I can think of right now. High yield savings accounts. I'm sure there are some other income streams I have out there, but they're yeah. quite minimal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's really awesome. Talking about um, just wealth in general, what's been your perspective on wealth? Like maybe growing up, did that change as an adult? What do you think about wealth and what is that for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think growing up, I do think your first financial memory really impacts how you look at finances. So my growing up, I remember that my dad, we were in the military and so we were on one of the bases and he put 50 cents into the soda machine and the soda didn't come out. And so because of that, we spend the next three hours like driving around the base, going to the people who were like in charge of this soda machine to get his 50 cents back. (laughs) And so (laughs) that was my first financial memory. And I think that taught me that, you know, every, everything, every dime is important. It's, 
it's important to save. It's important to, yeah, it's just important to take care of your money in that sense. So I learned growing up a lot about being frugal and, you know, going to Goodwill instead of going to the shops and, and stuff like that. What I didn't learn growing up was about making money. So the other side of the equation, because obviously to, to increase your financial standing, to increase your net worth, there are two sides, right? You can save more money or you can make more money. And I think a lot of times we're good at saving money. Um, especially if you're, if you're not growing up around the people who can educate you about investing, Mm -hmm. but we don't know much about making money. And I didn't know much Mm -hmm. about making money. My idea of making money was like, let me try to study really hard in school. Let me try to get the best grades that I can get a good job. And that good nine to five will help me out. And I think as I grew older, I realized that great. I'm good at the saving money part. I'm not good at making money. I'm, I'm good at just following the trajectory, but I wanted to create something different for myself where it was like, I wanted to learn more about investing. I wanted to learn about passive income. And so that's the equation that I didn't know growing up. And that's what I've been trying to figure out in the last few years. And obviously in this past year with the passive income journey, I've been documenting like what I'm learning with my followers, my subscribers. Mm -hmm. I just love like how your memory was so vivid with like how you first kind of like, you know, kind of had an awareness of finances, right? It's funny that you said that because he sounds exactly like my parents think. My parents are like, if you see a, a penny. Was it, was it Coke? <laughs> or was it Pepsi? Actually, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> orange soda. It's got to be orange soda, guys. <laughs> um, if, like if you see a penny on, for us, it's peso because I grew up in the Philippines. Like you have to pick that up because you can't, this is the funny thing. My, my parents were with somebody, you can't be a millionaire without a penny, you know, like it's like you have to have that penny to become a millionaire, you know? So <laughs> it's just interesting that you say that it's so vivid, but also I just really love how you pointed out, um, you know, there's the savings, there's the making money. And then now as an adult, especially living in California where taxes are high, I need to understand how to save. I need to understand how to make money. And I also need to understand how to keep what I make. Right. So it's not just like in the savings that I'm keeping, but also like in the tax strategies. Like, so it's really like for us, it's really important. Like I'm always with my, my accountant. I'm always like, we always like have like midway reports, you know, are one of the things we do is I check in halfway through the year. Hey, where are we looking like with taxes? What do we need to do to make sure to minimize, you know? So I think it's really important to look at those three things, you know, when it comes to finances, save your money, make sure you understand how to make money and then keep your, keep your money, you know, away yeah. from Uncle Sam. So, um, <laughs> Of course, pay your taxes, uh, you know, legally and all that. But like, there's definitely ways to, to, um, (laughs) this is not a plug for, uh, you know, (laughs) tax evasion. (laughs) But but, I'm a lawyer. I'm not going to comment. I'm just staying silent for this part. (laughs) (laughs) You're really good at staying silent and not commenting. (laughs) But anyway, when it comes to also just like um, giving, you know, we're really big believers that wealth is tied to how generous you are too, and how not just in your finances, but in your time, what are the avenues in your life that you, um, you know, look for ways to kind of give into or serve others? Yeah. So 
I really try to, as much as possible, when I learn something, I like to share that learning because I think it'll help other people. So as much as possible, I really try to, you know, as you've seen on FinCon, like I create these long blog posts of how I'm doing it so that others can replicate that. I also try to do little things like I, every year since I graduated, I interview incoming Georgetown law students. Mm -hmm. And I do that because I remember when I was interviewing for law school, I always had to interview with these scary, like old men. And I want to make the experience different for for these young, fresh out of college people who are going to go to law school. So I always try to like, right at the beginning of the interview, I'm like, don't worry. I'm really like one of the cool lawyers. I'm going to have, you're going to have the best interview. And so just little things to give my time like that. I think that's what giving looks like to me is just not forgetting where you came from and really trying to help others have a good experience because there are so many people who came ahead of me that helped me. Like I didn't have any lawyers in my family. I had to rely on people who were willing to help me and look at my essays. Like my parents didn't go to college in the U S they didn't, I had to rely on people who could tell me like, these are the colleges you can apply to. This is what financial aid means. Like there are so many things that I benefited because people were willing to dedicate their time with no, there was nothing I could offer to them. Like they, Mm. there was nothing for them to get out of it, but they were still willing to reach down and help me. So as it's not like I'm like successful and can do a lot of things for people, but the little things I can do for people, I I try to do it. It's amazing. That's amazing. Now with your journey, do you have any like favorite stories of something that's been rewarding for you? Like anytime that you've either donated your time or like feedback from, you know, the, the YouTube channel or from uh, plugin law? Yeah. Well, so I like to say in my videos that the most rewarding thing about this year has been hearing Erica and inspiring in one sentence because for so many years I was following this trajectory that I was told by society was great, right? Like go to the top college, go to the top law school, get into the top law firm. Mm -hmm. And even working those hundred hour weeks for years at the law firm, I never heard Erica inspiring. Like no one ever said Mm -hmm. that, but now on YouTube, I get it you know, once in a while. And it just feels so good. Like it feels so rewarding. And I think even little things like people telling me that I've given them the confidence to tackle their student loans, or recently I've been covering topics about stimulus and aid that's available in the U S. So someone told me that they were about to become homeless. And because I had given them some information, they were about, they were able to apply for rental assistance and got that rental assistance. So those, I mean, those moments just, just outweigh anything I've ever experienced in my life in terms of my like legal career. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a thousand times more rewarding. It's really exciting. I love this because it's like you went, you went into law to help people got into the corporate felt like I'm going to use my own words, but like the soul was sucked out of you. And then (laughs) now it's like this massive injection of like, kind of just intrinsic rewarding seeing all these like stories and hearing mm-hmm. yeah erica just, you are inspiring yeah like it's amazing to hear yeah, to watch, it really to inspired me like i was like <laughs> super inspired and it's really fun like i love um when you posted that stuff on fincon like i followed it i actually have it on my save thing on facebook it's really funny because i kind of go back <laughs> to it here and there to just read it again and then you shared something about like the online jobs to get a va you know or not a va but like an editor so i did hire someone i used your link and i did hire uh, an editor for our podcast um nice yeah <laughs> Yeah, so it's really cool. Um, But we're about to close out. I want to ask you 
um, what would be your three actionable tips to our viewers for them to pursue their own version of a wildly wealthy life? Yeah, perfect. So number one is to save more than you earn. So that is the most important thing. If you're spending 100% of your paycheck, you're never going to be able to reach this life where you can reach this wildly wealthy life and really give back. Because if you're focused on paycheck to paycheck, it's, it's just much harder for you to find the time, the finances to do that. And number two is to determine what matters to you and what truly makes you happy and pursue that. So cut out the rest of the fluff. Don't worry about materialism. If you're not excited about the next, you know, iPhone coming out, don't worry about societal pressures telling you that this is what you should do. Worry about what matters to you and pursue that and try to have blinders to everyone else telling you that you must, you have to feel somewhat differently. And then the third point is to think about long-term happiness over short-term gratification. So Mm. we're in this society where people spend billions to market to us and tell us that this new thing is going to make us happy. And of course we get it instantly. We feel really happy, but then does that really last versus if you think about things in terms of long-term happiness, like think about making choices today that are going to make you happy in the long-term and not in the short-term. I love that. That's awesome. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, awesome. <laughs> we are going to ask you uh, our quick 10 rapid fire questions. These are some okay. questions that are related to our podcast. Some of them are fun, not really related. Um, just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't censor yourself. <laughs> just say whatever comes to your mind. And are you ready? We're ready. Okay. And for our audience, there was no prep for this. So this, she's just... This is boom. Yeah, this Honest is boom. Answers. And, unless yeah. unless she watched some of our podcasts, so then mm, she may maybe, have some prep. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Number one, if you could choose one book to live by, what would it be? I really like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It helped me to see the world differently. Yeah. Uh, personal hero, living, uh, deceased, someone you know personally or don't know? It's my mom. I mean, she mm-hmm. sacrificed a lot for me and I'm grateful for her. That's awesome. Uh, the one thing you intentionally have to do every single day. I check my phone. It's not a good answer, but <laughs> you wake up and check answer. your phone. Hey, it you know, we, we kind of do that. All of us. Sorry. <laughs> uh, one hobby that brings you the most joy. Oh my gosh. YouTube. I think YouTube is still, I consider it a hobby. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's I love that. What was the last song you sang out loud to? Probably Taylor Swift. Ooh, which song? A little Tay-Tay action. I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love story. It's love like mm-hmm. my go-to. Mm-hmm. Okay. All it's right. A solid one. <laughs> Last big purchase you made for yourself. I just got a treadmill to go under my desk so I can walk on the treadmill while I work. And I never buy expensive things. This was like $600. So I spent a month thinking about it and I finally (laughs) made, I finally made the jump and got it. And it's been the best week ever. I've gotten my 10,000 steps in. That's amazing. I might want a picture of that later when you. (laughs) Yeah. I'll text, I'll text it to you. It's good. That'd be super cool. Food you cannot live without. Anything Japanese food, mm. ramen, sushi, karedaisu, like anything Japanese. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. What Maybe is we your... need to take another trip. I know we need to take another trip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your spirit animal? I'm like a golden retriever, probably. I'm pretty Aww. friendly. <laughs> yeah, That's very sweet. I like that. Yeah. I like that. All right. And number 10, I'll finish this sentence. If I'm stuck on an island by myself... Dot, dot, dot. 
It probably won't turn out well. <laughs> okay. We're taking that answer. It's amazing. Hopefully, hopefully you never get stuck in an island by yourself. Yeah, I have no survival skills whatsoever. <laughs> it's all right. Awesome. Yeah, this has been really fun. Yeah, really really appreciate awesome. you taking the time, Erica. And uh, to our listeners, you know, definitely find her on, on YouTube. Yep. And I got two parting questions for you. Number one, yeah. uh, where can people find out more about you? And number two, uh, if you were to encourage our listeners to give or serve into something, what would that be? Yeah, people can find me on ericacolberg.com or Plug and Law is my website for the legal company. Plug and It's like plug and play, but plug and law. Mm-hmm. And then to give or serve, just think about little actions. It doesn't have to be big, but just do something kind every day to make someone feel better. Yeah, that's awesome. That. Yeah, and actually for our listeners, uh, we are still doing our book giveaway and $25 Amazon gift card giveaway. And one of the things that the listeners have to do, actually the only one mandatory thing they have to do is to answer the question, what act of kindness did you do for someone today? That's it. So thank you for sharing that, that, hey, you know, it doesn't have to be something big. It can just be something little. So Erica, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you. And we wish we were in Tokyo right now and going to go get some sushi at the, what's that market? We'll treat uh, you when we get to (laughs) No, I'll treat you. Come on over whenever whenever the world is back. What's the biggest uh, market there again? The fish market? Yeah, we went there. Oh, so good. That sushi. Yeah, it's so delicious. You can go at like 6 a.m. and get the best sushi of your life. (laughs) We went there early. Yeah, we did. We went there early where they... So they had like an aquarium in the back and they like slapped a fish right <laughs> off, like out of the thing, cut it up, served it to oh, us. So good. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. All right, Erica. Well, been, it's, it's been a pleasure and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, great episode with Erica Kohlberg. Wasn't that just so fun and just so amazing and just really love just listening to her journey on like, the YouTube stuff. Like it's really what inspired me to do my own YouTube channel. So now I currently have my own YouTube channel and it's not Wildly Wealthy Life. Well, we have Wildly Wealthy Life on YouTube, but we I have my own channel, Cat's Keys. Uh, it's about piano and everything piano playing. And so if you guys want to check that out, check that out as well. And uh, for me, like with Erica, I just love that she had the courage to be able to walk away from that high six figure income and just take the risk on herself and do what she really wanted to do to give back or give back to the community and to really just do her, her part with, with serving others. So it was really awesome hearing that. And, you know, now still continuing to follow her on uh, YouTube, Instagram, get out there, share, Mm -hmm. like subscribe, everything, everyone that you follow, share, like, and subscribe. It's great. And next week we have an amazing whitewater raptor. (laughs) Yeah, Susan Elliott is a friend of mine, but also just an amazing, I've never met a river engineer before in my entire life. And so this woman is basically paving rivers and like figuring out like what to do and how rivers are engineered. Didn't even know that rivers need engineering, but yeah, like really like uh, designing ecosystems and all of that. It's just amazing, but also is really, really amazing at real estate investing as well. So Uh, excited to share Susan Elliott with you. Make sure you check that out next week. Thank you for tuning in. And if you're watching us on YouTube, like and subscribe. And also if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure that you download and rate us on iTunes. See you next week. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wildly Wealthy Life. We hope that this episode has helped you take another step towards living fully, giving freely, and building a legacy that deeply impacts your community. We'd love to hear what you think about today's show. Please leave us a review or like us on iTunes and YouTube. And click the subscribe button so you won't miss a show. You can also visit us at wildlywealthylife.com for today's show notes. See you on our next episode. Thank you and may you live a wildly wealthy life.